Uh, let's pray before we get into the word of God. Uh, our Father, our Lord, uh, what an honor it is, O oh Lord, to stand before you, to come into your presence. Now, O oh Lord, we pray uh, it would be none of me but all of you, and it would be your words. For it's your words, O oh Lord, they are truth, they are life, and they are spirit. And that's what we need to hear. And so, Lord, we pray open up ears, open up hearts, open up minds to receive all that your word has for us today. Holy Spirit, we pray you would teach us and that we would gain understanding to grow in the grace and knowledge of your only begotten Son. Lord, we are so grateful. We thank you for your love that you lavished upon us. And we pray that every day we can just comprehend it a little more. As Paul prayed that that we would comprehend with all the saints what the width, the length, the depth, the height to know the love of Christ. And so, Lord, we surrender to you this morning. Have your way. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. All right. So uh, we're in the epistle of 1 John. I know it's been a while since I've, since I've been up here to teach that. So I'll do just a quick background. So the Apostle John, we call him John A, not John B. Who's John B? John the Baptist. All right. So he's John the Apostle, and so we would say he was part of Jesus' inner three, the inner circle. You know, he had the crowd, the seven, you know, he had the crowd, he had the 70, the 12, and then the three. Why is that important? Because he was one of Jesus' closest disciples and knew Jesus very well, probably uh, better than any of the other disciples, my assumption. Um, and so he knew a lot about Jesus, and so... Uh, originally, he was known as the Sons of Thunder. If you guys remember, he and his brother, they wanted to call down fire from heaven and smoke them. And Jesus told him, no, we don't do that, right? We don't do that. And, but he then, being transformed by Jesus, became known as the Apostle of Love. And he uses the word more than any other writer in the New Testament. Love, the Apostle of Love. And so he calls himself the one whom Jesus loved. And that's really just a picture of all of us because we are the ones in whom Jesus loved, and he proved it on the cross. And so the Apostle John writes this epistle from Ephesus. After they tried to boil him, they failed. Then they exiled him to Patmos. He wrote Revelation, and then he made his way on back to Ephesus, and he was basically overseeing a lot of the churches there, and it was a missionary hub. And he's basically the elder there, and he's encouraging these saints and the churches in Ephesus to cling to Jesus, because there are some false teachers that had come in known as, back then, it was early Gnosticism. So Gnosticism, just a word for knowledge. And so the, the false teachings come in, if you guys look through scripture, and even now today, whenever the truth is preached, there's always the false teachers and false doctrine coming in right after. Paul said that they would come in not sparing the flock. And he also said that, marvel not for even Satan masquerades as an angel of light. And so false doctrine is always coming in trying to, again, deter us away from the truth that's in Jesus. Paul would say the simplicity that's in Christ, right? And so he's writing them today because these false teachers come in and they were claiming, we are children of God, just like you. We're children of God. But they did not reflect the characteristics of being part of God's family. And so essentially John writes and says, hey, check it out. I'm gonna give you guys a photo album of what the children of God look like. And he lays it out on how, the, how Jesus, first and foremost, everything was built upon Jesus. He's the chief foundation. He's the chief cornerstone. He's the good shepherd, right? He's the door. Everything is built on Jesus and centered around him. And so he starts off with letting them know that uh, Jesus is the foundation of everything. And so the, these beliefs of the Gnostic believers, because First John is a tough book. There's some black and white things here, like if you are born of God, you don't sin. That's, that's, uh, well, I guess we're all, we're, none of us are saved, right? So it's important to know the context of First John is that the belief of the Gnostics, they had two faulty beliefs about Jesus. One of them was that Jesus was God, but he never became man. And so that when Jesus came, that the spirit of God was on him for a period of time, and then it left them at the resurrection. And so he never was really eternally God. So that led them to believe that, hey, once I'm saved, I had to be completely holy. I had to basically deprive my flesh and live in what we call legalism and, and obey all these rules and regulations. That was one uh, behavior that came from that faulty belief. And then there's another one where they believe that Jesus was man, but not fully God. And there's some cults around today that 
kind of fall down. No, there's Jehovah's Witness, Mormonism. They don't believe that Jesus is fully God. They believe he transforms from different. He doesn't, no, he doesn't do that. Fully God, fully man. Amen. Amen? Fully God, fully man. And so they believe because of that, that once they were saved, they weren't accountable for what they did in the flesh. They were not accountable. So that resulted in what we call false liberty, where I can just do whatever I want because I'm saved and where grace, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds. So I mind will sin that grace may abound. And so John comes in like, no, bruh, that's not the way it is. And so that's what he comes in and breaks it down. And so, of course, neither of those views are true. So hopefully you don't believe any of those. And if you do today, we're going to correct that with the word of God, right? So throughout the epistle, he writes briefly, I'll give you guys just a few points of the main points of the epistle is first and foremost that we may have fellowship with God and fellowship with one another. And he basically outlines that this Jesus that they're talking about, I, I know him. I, he says, that which I've seen, that which I've touched, that which our hands have handled concerning the word of life. He talks about Jesus being a real person, not a phantom, not Casper the friendly ghost, not somebody who transported, but he's a real person that you can know and have fellowship with, and his fellowship is where we get our joy from. You guys have heard the acronym, Jesus Others Yourself. And the truth is we're never going to really be fulfilled until we get it in order, right? God's a God of order for a reason, but our true joy comes from being fulfilled in it and being satisfied in everything that God has for us. So chapter one, he says, fellowship with him and joy with Jesus. And then he writes in chapter two that we may not sin. Oh boy, because sin destroys relationships. It cripples the body of Christ and it breaks fellowship with God. And so sin's very destructive. It's not to be taken lightly. And it was sin that separated us from God to begin with. And so he says, hey, I know the Gnostics, like they say they're children of God and they're just living rebel lives and claiming to be children of God, but you as a child of God, stay away from that because it interrupts our fellowship that we have. And then another point, he says that you may not be deceived. So usually when you see something in scripture that uh, I write this, that you don't fear or you don't sin or you're not deceived, that means that was happening or else he wouldn't give a warning about it. And so the false teachers came in and they were deceiving the believers, mainly the, new, the newer converts, because they, had it, they were not grown in their maturity in the faith, and they were being drawn away by the false teachers, and they're even still here today. Test every false teacher, every claim with the living word of God. There it is right there. Show me in here and I'll bow. That's why people get mad at me. Show me in here and I'll bow. If you can't show me in here, I stand. Sorry. Right here in the word of God. So he tells them about the false teacher. And then lastly, and this is so important, it's all important, but this is so important, is when you have a faulty uh, idea about who Jesus is, you doubt your salvation. You doubt your salvation. And so he writes them that they may know, that they know, that they know that they are saved, that they have the Holy Spirit, that no one can snatch them out of the Father's hands and, and the, Father's, the Son's hands and the Father's hand, right? You have a two-fisted promise that all who hear his words and believe in he who sent him have everlasting life and shall not come into judgment. And so he writes that they may know they have eternal life, but here's the kicker. It's only in the biblical Jesus and no one else, right? So those are the main reasons why he writes. Let's get into the text. First John, we're going to start with uh, verse 28, but I'm going to read the verse before just to give us some context. So he says, uh, 27 of chapter two, he says, but the anointing which you have received from him abides in you, and you do not need that anyone teach you, speaking the Gnostics, but as the same anointing teaches you concerning all things and is true and is not a lie, and just as it taught you, you will abide in him. And so he talks about how the Gnostics were saying they needed to be taught by them, and they have this special revelation, a new revelation. Be careful, new revelations. Uh, the book's completed. 66, right here. So when you come with a new revelation, it's not in here, stay clear, right? So they came with these new revelations, and John is saying, you guys have the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is known as the Spirit of truth. And the Holy Spirit of truth is going to guide you concerning these things, but you need to abide in that truth. And he transitions into our first verse today, verse 28 in your text, in your Bibles. And now, little children abide 
in him that when he appears, you may have confidence and not be ashamed before him at his coming. On your outline, the first point is the blessing of abiding in Jesus. You will have confidence at his coming and not shame. So he starts off by saying little children. This does not mean little babies, but it simply means anyone who is in the faith. The term in itself is a term of endearment of a, a teacher to their students. So he says, little children, I care about you. Little children, I've spent time with you. Little children, listen up. It's like the term of dear, dearly beloved. Listen to me. It's the same term of endearment that Jesus used of his disciples back in John 13 in the upper room discourse. And then John uses this term, abide in him. And so this Greek word is meno, and this word abide is one of John's favorite words outside of love and believe. More than half of the uses of meno are by the Apostle John and the Gospels and the letters. And so this tells us that this word abide is very, very, very important that we need to take heed. So John continues his command for his readers to abide in Jesus. And as I was reading through it, I usually, you know, when we study, we look at words that are repeated because it's repeated for a reason. By this time from chapter one to chapter two, this is the 10th time that John uses the word abide. Abide, 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 abide. And it has many meanings, but in simplest terms, it simply means to remain in the same place, position, or direction over a period of time. And so it can also mean take up a permanent residence or make yourself at home. It's the root word, the Greek word, mone, which means a mansion or habitation. So John is essentially saying, make your home in Jesus. Live in Jesus. Make yourself comfortable in Christ. This is one of his favorite words he used all the time, just like Pastor Dave uses amen all the time. And so you can imagine every time he's preaching, it's abide. And then the Jesus came, abide. And then the Lord's coming, abide over and over and over. Because it's so important for us to remember that we are to abide and remain in Jesus. And saints, this is not just physically remain in a place, but this idea is about fellowship. It's about relationship. It's about companionship and harmony. One of the main differences between Christianity and every other faith is the element of relation. See, no one knows, all, even all the false religions, they know that the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob is a God of love. Isn't your God loving? Isn't he a God of love? Well, guess what? Because he's the eternal God, before we were here, who was he loving? He was loving the Son. They were in an eternal relationship before we were ever created. And that's how he can lavish his love upon us. He says, abide in that love. Abide in him. See, most of us would not allow someone to remain in our home that was not in fellowship with us. See, saints, this idea of living in Jesus is so important that Jesus promised in John 14, 23, for you note takers, Jesus promises, anyone loves me, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to, come to him and he will make our home with him. Again, the idea of living in Jesus is constant fellowship and communion with him. For context, for those of you who take notes, John 15, 5, I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. Another one, John 17, 21, that they all may be one as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be one in us that the world may believe that you sent me. There's this constant theme of relation and abiding and fellowship that we see in the scriptures over and over. And as I was studying, I have a, a, a big picture in my dining room. It's probably, I almost brought it, but I didn't. It's about this big. It's a picture of our family, all of us, from our little five-month-old to our 14-year-old. And we're all holding hands and we're walking in the park. And that spoke to me abide, is that we are connected, that we are in fellowship. And although we may not always be walking hand-in-hand together, the idea of living in that is remaining in relationship with the people you love. And that spoke to me. And that's the picture I have in my head when I think of abide. 
that no matter what you go through, no matter what life brings to me, I want to remain living in Jesus. And this is, the, this is what John is telling him. This is the purpose. But he says, for you to abide is regarding us having what we call confidence. Confidence. So when he says that he may appear, that we may have confidence and not be ashamed ooh, at his coming. See, saints, this whole thing of, uh, you know, yeah, Jesus, I mean, he might come back. Maybe not. I don't know. That's what Satan wants you to think. But all the early apostles in the early church believed in an intimate return of Jesus, and they lived that way. They, they weren't sloppy. They weren't, well, yeah, I mean, I mean, Paul said that a long time ago. He's probably not going to come back today, right? I mean, you know. But all through Scripture, they believed he would come back at any time. Even Jesus himself taught, Revelation, he says, behold, I come quickly, quickly, and my reward is with me. For your history buffs, it has been observed in the New Testament, one verse out of every 25 deals with the Lord's return. It is mentioned over 300 times in 260 chapters in the New Testament. And it's also mentioned in almost every single New Testament book that Jesus is coming back. Now, the good news is he came as a lamb the first time. And, and until he comes again, you're under a period of grace. But he's not coming as a little lamb, little Jesus, meek and mild again. When he comes again, he's going to be on a white horse and he's going to wage war against his enemies. But he's giving you time if you have not placed your trust in Christ yet. He's giving you time to accept little Jesus, meek and mild on the lamb. Okay? And so the encouragement this morning is accept the little Jesus, meek and mild on the lamb today. Right? And so John asserts that Jesus is indeed coming back and he wants his readers to have what we call confidence. That word confidence means free and fearless confidence, cheerful courage, boldness, and assurance. Don't answer out loud, but how many right now, if Jesus came back, you're ready, let's go. You don't have to answer out loud. Let's go, right? And then there's some people like, well, damn, I haven't finished that Netflix series yet. I, I mean, the new iPhone's coming out. I haven't gotten, I, mean, I don't know. Not yet. I didn't, I didn't finish it. I'm not, no, not yet. Well, you don't want to be one of those who are not ready. Which one are we? Saints, for us, we need to long to hear, well done, my good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of your Lord. Saints, for context, those of you who take notes, 1 John 4, 17 says this. The love, of, love has been perfected among us in this, that we may have boldness in the day of judgment because as he is, so are we in this world. Isaiah 25, 9. And it will be said in that day, behold, that this is our God. We have waited for him and he will save us. This is the Lord. We, we have waited for him. We will be glad and rejoice in his salvation. Think about this. Something for you guys to think about. If he came back today or tomorrow, what would our response truly be? Will it be, yes, Lord, I've been waiting for you. I've been longing for you to be here. I've been faithful in everything you've put in my hands. I didn't take the gift and bury it in the, the, the church chair or something, right? I was faithful to do what you've called me to do. Or will we shrink back and be ashamed? See, saints, when we abide in Jesus, guess what? We're ready for him to come anytime. Abiding in Jesus gives us confidence because we wouldn't change our lives substantially if we somehow knew Jesus would come back next week. We would already be abiding in him. It's like one of those things when, you know, back in the day, I mean, I'm 36 years young, but if you know, I was raised by my grandma, if you leave the house, you know, I told you guys got to stay here. You know, we, we leave, of course, um, because we knew she'd be gone for a long time. She went grocery shopping. And it would be one of those things where she'd come back and we weren't there, we weren't ready, and we came home, we were ashamed because we were not following her commands. Saints, I tell you guys to stay home in Christ. So when he comes, it's just like you've been waiting. Where you been? I'm waiting for you, right? This is John's exhortation. In the same verse, but he also mentions, first have confidence, but he also mentions that we wouldn't be ashamed. That word ashamed means dishonor. It means dishonor like a thief who gets caught in the act. 
like the one who gets caught shoplifting and tries to say, I didn't, I didn't, I didn't, what are you talking about? And they show him the video clip of him stealing. Ashamed, right? Dishonor. Like the person who shows up to competitive games unprepared. We pray that that would not be us, and so does John. But guess who that would be if they came back at that time? It would be the Gnostics, that they would be ashamed because they had the wrong Jesus. They would be dishonored because God would not honor them because they were not honoring him. Example for context, Luke 9, 26 says, For whoever is ashamed of me and my words, of him the Son of Man will be ashamed when he comes in his glory and in his fathers of the holy angels. Not just ashamed of him, but in his words, the word of God. Don't be ashamed of his words. These are precious. These are the words of life. The psalmist said in 138 and 2 that God has magnified his word above all his name. The word of God. See, in this verse, the shame is twofold. Here's here's why I say that. The shame is one for unbelievers and two unfaithful believers. In this context, the false Gnostic teachers may have been in mind. They're going to have no defense when they stand before the King King of kings and the Lord of lords. When Jesus comes in all of his majesty, in all of his splendor, in all of his glory, they're going to shrink back. When the realization hits like a ton of bricks that their entire lives they've rejected the gracious hand of the Lord and his gift of salvation. If if that's you in this room today, I want to pause and exhort you to not leave here today without Jesus. Scripture tells us that life is but a vapor and that we're not promised tomorrow and that time and chance happens to us all. We've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The ground is level at the foot of the cross, but the Bible says that God in his great love, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And there's no qualifications other than admitting that we're sinners. The Bible says, whosoever come, come. I've been told that, well, Christianity is so exclusive. It's like an exclusive VIP club. Like you have, you have to do this, this, and that to get in, right? But the truth be told, it's the most inclusive faith ever. See, God invites every single person, whosoever, to have a relationship with him through his son. And so the message today is that those who would be ashamed if he came is to place their trust in Christ today. As Moses said in Deuteronomy, choose life. Amen? Now, the other part, believers, shame, possibly for us to believe. Paul alludes to this in 1 Corinthians 3.15. He says, if anyone's work is burned, he will suffer loss but he himself will be saved, yet so as through fire. So it's like those people who barely get into heaven, clothes are smoking, right? Barely got there, and then they have like a little, a little tab that says salvation, and that's it. No jewels, no crowns, nothing. That's shame. See, you know when you're growing in your walk with the Lord, when you're not just okay with being saved. You're not, I'm saved, I'm, I think I'm just going to chill, kick my feet up binge watch, do all this. I'm just, you know, work, eat all my accolades here on earth, right? But you know when you're growing in the faith when you actually desire, like the psalmist said, to do thy will, O God, right? When you actually desire and look at, when you stand before God, you can vision that, that you want to say, Lord, I've been faithful with everything you've given to me. Now, none of us can say that, but that should be our heart, is that when I stand before God, like Paul said, I'm being poured out like a drink offering. I've run my race. I've kept the faith. I fought the good fight. That's when you know you're growing in the grace and knowledge of the Lord. Unfortunately, some of us will be ashamed like the parable of the talents. He hid it and said, Lord, I was afraid. Buried it really, really deep. Didn't even think about getting interest. I just buried it. I was terrified. They're going to be shamed. Something to think about, saints. Examine our walk. Our lives centered around Jesus and ministry for him. Or do you center Jesus in ministry around your life? See, when Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he said, Lord, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven, not in heaven as it is in earth. And so our lives need to be centered around Jesus, and then everything else will fall in its proper order. On your outline, when we remain constant fellowship and communion, we'll be ready for Jesus to come back. Secondly, non-believers and unfaithful believers will have shame at his coming. 
Are we abiding in him? Have we made our home in Jesus? I know, example for me, like when, when COVID hit, for us, like obviously, you know, every, we all dealt with the same experience, right? When everyone was buying all the toilet paper and all that. And, and I, I, didn't, I honestly didn't know what was going on because I don't have cable. I didn't, even, I, I didn't know how, you know, what the, how, how deep the issue was when I saw everybody buying all this stuff out. I'm like, oh, they're, they're crazy. But for us, there really wasn't much that changed for us. Our kids were, at that point, our kids were already homeschooled um, and a lot of our life was centered around ministry. And so we just, it was business as usual for us. The biggest thing was we weren't able to see you guys. We, we, were, we weren't able to be around the people that we love. But it wasn't like a big hit for us. Like, what do we do? It was like, well, we just keep doing what we're doing because our life was already centered around the Lord. And that's my prayer and hope for each and every one of you. So point number one, you will have confidence. One of the blessings of abiding in Jesus, you're going to have confidence at his coming. Point number two, you will have confidence that you're a child of God. Verse 29, if you know that he is righteous, you know that everyone who practices righteousness is born of him. John highlights what we call family DNA. See, saints, if we're part of the family, we have the character traits. Now, in a room this big, how many of you guys look like someone in your family? Right? So for me, it was my dad. So I'd always hear, you look just like your dad. And after a while, I'm like, yeah, I don't want to hear that anymore. You know, like, I'm me. He's him, I'm me, right? But here's the, here's the reality, is that when you're a part of the family, you share DNA. You become to look more like the people who are in your family because you guys have the same bloodline. And so John is saying, guess what? If you know that Jesus is righteous and you're connected to him, the vine, then guess what? You're going to live a righteous life. Now, why would he tell them that? The Gnostics. We're children of God too. Apple trees. There's oranges on there. But we're apple trees. Nah, those are oranges, right? And so John tells them, look, we come from the same bloodline. These traits are not learned. They're inherited. And so even until this day, I even get comments about uh, when I was younger, me and my brother used to exactly alike, and they would call me him and him me all the time. And then now I even get times where like, man, you remind me so much of your brother, just like some of your mannerisms. Well, the reality is, one, when you have the same bloodline, you have physical traits that are the same. But when you hang out with someone a lot, you begin to adopt some of those same mannerisms. So John says, if you know he, capital H, that's Jesus, if you know he is righteous, then everyone who's been born of him practices righteous. Guess what? The hardest thing to do is to live a Christian life when you don't have a Christian life to live, okay? It's like taking a pig and putting them in a mansion and say, live as a millionaire. Good luck, right? It's not happening. That pig's going to tear that mansion up. He's probably going to eat the money, and he's going to leave that place a complete pig sloth. And the reality is, is that the Gnostics were attempting and trying to claim to be millionaires in a mansion, but they were really slothy pigs. And it was showing in their behavior. They were not connected to the vine. They did not have the true Jesus. And John says to the readers, this is one of the evidences that you know. Now, a key word here, and when you guys read 1 John, it's important to recognize this word, the word practice. The word practice. It means to commit, exercise, and to be busy with. See, those born of God, which is born again, they reflect that they belong to the family of God by their lifestyle. Now, many years ago when I played college football and we went to practice, we went to get better, not worse, okay? We didn't go to practice to uh, unravel all of the, the technical skills that are required to play football, but we went to sharpen those skills and to get better. And so what John is saying is that, guess what? Those who practice righteousness, they're aiming to be more like Christ. They're aiming to be more and look more like him. Those are the ones that are children of God, right? Those are the ones. And so that's what he's saying here. Guess what? New birth precedes new behavior. If you were born again, you don't remain the same. You do not remain the same. Nowadays, we have, you know, the early church. If you guys remember, Holy Spirit came, one message, 3,000 people were saved. You know what their main question was? What must I do to be saved? Now we're asking, what can I do and still be saved? 
How far can I go? Can I just go to the edge? Maybe put my foot over it a little bit? How much, how much can I watch of that? How many F words can be in it? Well, how long can I do that? Can I stay at a church for a month? What? And still be, that's not the heart. Let's pull it on back, right? Let's pull it on back to basic Christian fundamentals one-on-one. When you were born again, it reflects, it results in an attitude of gratitude. That I do these things not to be right with God, but because I'm right with God. It is a result of that. Scripture says that by their fruit, you will know them. Saints, do we pass the test? Just claiming to be born again isn't enough. I come across so many people that have a false understanding of who Jesus is. And this is why we teach the Bible. This is why we teach through the whole counsel of God. We don't spot pick verses and say this because so many people are biblically illiterate. They mean well, but the Jesus that's been presented to them is not the Jesus of Scripture. And that's why they look at you all crazy. What? Obedience? What's that? Obedience? Is that in the Bible? Yes, it is. And it's not a curse word, right? It's a blessing. But so many times we get that. I had a conversation with someone the other day. The individual was, was going to a program and they, were, uh, they just got there. They left to go sneak out with their ex-boy, ex-boyfriend. They just got out of the jail and they were doing drugs. And I simply asked, and this individual said they're a Christian. I simply asked, are you, are you born again? She said, born of what? I said, are you born again? What's that? Let me explain it to you. So I explained She said, well, no, I believe in Jesus. Yeah, I, I love the Lord. I do that. I said, can I ask you this? If you said no words and we followed you around for a week, would anyone know that you're a Christian? Yeah, yeah, they would because God, no matter what, and just kept going on and on and on and on and on. That's not the Jesus of scripture. Amen. Amen? And so I graciously just said, hey, look, here's the bottom line. You know, Paul says that all who are in Christ are new creatures. And so if before you got saved, you know, you, you were doing drugs and all that, hey, praise God, come as you are, right? But if after you get saved, like the love of God changes you, right? And so I want to encourage you to get born again right now. You're not born again. She says, yeah, you're right. And so I was able to pray for her and, and make a confession of faith. And I pray that that was genuine. But we come across this so much. You know why? Because it's all in here and we ignore it. We are of all the most blessed of all generations of people because we have all these resources, all these resources. And the truth has always been in Jesus. There was a, a preacher, I think his name was Whitfield, way, way back in the day, way before my time at least. And this lady will come hear him preach all the time. And one day she stood after and she went up, you know, she told me, hey, good sermon, but I just, I just had one problem. You always, always, always mention you must be born again all the time. And he said, well, because you must be born again. Amen. <laughs> And this is just the consistent reality of Scripture. You know, the Bible says, in Adam all die, but in Christ all shall be made alive. Jesus told the most religious man, the most pious Pharisee, Nicodemus, you must be born again. Because here's the bottom line, religion doesn't save. I'm glad you guys are here. Church is good. It's good stuff. Glad you guys read your Bibles. Glad you go to church. Glad you guys pray. None of those make you a Christian. Now, Christians do those things, right? But just because you do them doesn't make you born again any more than being in the water makes you a fish, a garage, a car, on the road, you know, whatever it may be, right? You must be born again. See, saints, faith alone saves, but a faith that saves is never alone because faith without works is dead. For context, John 15, 5, as I said before, I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me bears much fruit. Something to think about. Since being born again, how has your life changed? What about your desires, thoughts, affections? You know, Paul says, set your affections on the things that are above, where Christ is, seeing on the right hand. Do you continually battle with sin or are you in bondage to it? See, that's a struggle that we have. A lot of us battle with the, you know, am I saved or is it sanctification? Look, if you are in war with sin, that is evidence you've been born again. I've never met someone who hates Jesus say, I love Jesus and want to get baptized. Never, never. I've never heard anyone who hates Jesus and says, I have a desire to do good. But the will I do not find, as Paul said in Romans 7. 
So part of it is understanding, is this a sanctification issue or am I just not born again? Well, here's how you know. If it's a battle, you're born again and keep fighting. Amen? It's the Holy Spirit. You ask the Holy Spirit, he's called the helper for a reason. The other day, I have tons of opportunities to minister to teenagers and young kids. I'm always around them. And one of this kid was struggling in particular. And I just, I, I heard some other people just counsel him. I just sat and I observed, I listened. And what came out of his mouth was, I, I don't know why I just can't stop doing this particular sin. I, and, and he started to cry. And I said, look, check it out. Do you know that the Bible in scripture that Jesus gave us the Holy Spirit? And he's a person. He's a third person in the Trinity. And John 16, in six verses, 10 times, it said that he will, he will, he will, he will, he will, he will, Holy Spirit. And I said, do you know that you can ask the Holy Spirit for help to overcome and give you the desire to do the will of God? He said, no, I didn't know that. I said, well, you can. And so that's all it is, is that if you come to him, we have that confidence that anything you ask in his name, in his will, he will give it. And he's faithful to his word. And so that was a great encouragement to him. And saints, we too need to ask for help. See, your life, and you outline, your life will bear the fruit of holy living. Now we're in chapter three. I honestly tried, I was going to try to do like to verse nine, but I, I, I got stuck right here at the love of God. I did. Kid you not. I got stuck. I said, I can't go any further. I can't. I just, I just couldn't. I was overwhelmed. Overwhelmed. Okay, chapter three, verse one. He says, behold, what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called children of God. Therefore, the world does not know us because it did not know him. NLT reads like this. See how very much our Father loves us, for he calls us his children. And that is what we are. But the people who belong to this world don't recognize that we are God's children because they don't know him. The word behold, it literally means to see with your mind, to become acquainted with by experience, to take heed, to study intently. John says to his readers, you guys need to study the love of God. You guys need to be acquainted with the love of God. John wants them to examine and fully grasp the love of God. One of my favorite scriptures, Ephesians 3, Paul, he prayed for us. And he prayed that we would fully comprehend with all the saints what the width, the depth, the length, the height to know the love of Christ. That surpasses knowledge. The old saying, people don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. John is transitioning from abiding for them to embrace the love of God. That phrase, what manner of love, it literally means what country, nation, or tribe, what sort or quality this is. So what he's saying is he, he doesn't know, this is a love, I don't know where this came from. Where did it come from? This is a love unlike any other love that you can experience or know or be acquainted with. There's no comparison to the love of God is what he's saying. It could be better be phrased, the love of the Father is out of this world and it can never be taken away. For context, note takers, 1 John 4, 9. In this, the love of God was manifested towards us, that God has sent his only begotten son into the world that we might live through him. Paul, Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his love towards us and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I can't tell you guys how many times I come across people that are struggling with acceptance. God can't love me. You don't know what I've been through. You don't know what's going on in my life. You don't know what happened to me as a kid. Over and over and over again. Saints, we cannot forget the depth of God's love for us. The Bible says that where sin abounds, grace abounds that much more. So what that tells us is you can't out the grace of God, but neither can you outwork the cross of Calvary because Jesus says it is finished. And he lavished this upon us. Now I understand when the Apostle Paul, if you read through Apostle Paul, 
He'll be in the middle of a sentence and he breaks out in a doxology of praise and worship. Right in the middle of it. Praise, worship, and honor. Because he understood this. Romans 8, 38. Paul concludes and says, I'm persuaded that neither death nor life, angels nor principalities, powers nor things present or things to come, height nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. Saints, this is good stuff. This is good stuff. I have a confession to make. At least once or twice a week, I shed tears when I, when I literally think about the love of God. It overwhelms me of how much God loves me when I'm not deserving. And this right here is what encourages and picks everyone up off their feet. That no matter what you're going through, you can always look back at the cross. See, it's one thing to say I love you, but it's another thing to show it. And John is saying, this, where did this love come from? It's out of the world. He's meditating on Christ coming and being born of God. John is led into praise, amazement, and adoration of the love of God. Of the love of God. He's blown away. He says there's absolutely nothing like it in all the earth. It's immeasurable. It's incomprehensible. It's inconceivable. When Paul says the width, the length, the depth, the height, the width is that God's love is wide enough for the whole world. The length is that God's love lasts forever. The depth is that it's deep enough for the worst sinner. And the height is that it's tall enough to get us to heaven. The love of God. I had a parent come to me and, and ask for help with her, her teenage son. And she was just saying, you know, I struggle and he doesn't, he doesn't listen. There's no obedience. Like, what, what should I do? And I just, I simply asked, just because I know, I know teenagers. I said, well, does he have his phone? Oh, yeah. I would have snatched that quick fast. That number one. Sorry, teenagers, y'all know what it is. Um, I would have snatched that quick fast in a hurry. I said, the love of God also says that who the Lord loves, he disciplines. And she said, well, I kind of, I, I want him to love me. She said, I, I really want his affection, his love. And I don't, I don't remember it in the moment, but I said, that's idolatry. You have idolatry for your son's love. Can I tell you about the love of God? And I told her, I said, you know what? God loves you so much that the Bible says that greater is thought towards you that they can't be numbered. The Bible says that Jesus is always praying for you. The Bible says that he'll never leave you nor forsake you. Why do you want your son's inconsistent love when you have the constant, immeasurable, innumerable, inconceivable love of God. Amen? And she just paused. And she thought about it. And she told me, thank you. And I honestly thought, okay, she's mad. Like, I told her she had the dollar of her son's love. Like, she's probably mad at me. He's never going to talk to me again. Right? And I saw her a week later. And she said, what you said to me, when you said I have idolatry of my son's love, pierced my heart. And I knew right then and there, I got to get myself back right with the love of God. Amen? And that's what it is. Why do you want an inconsistent, we call it sloppy agape. Why do you want sloppy agape when you got this, right? You got this. And this, saints, is the only thing that constrains the Christian. People say, well, Christian, if I go, I, got, I can't watch pornography anymore. If I go to Christian, I can't drink and I can't go party. I can't watch videos with curse words, Right? But this is what the Apostle Paul says. He said, the love of Christ compels me. That if one died for all, then all were dead. Right? And he says that, oh, that he died for all, that those who, that he died for, they no longer live for themselves, but him who died for them and rose again. The love of God is the only thing constraining the Christian. Saints, some of us today are struggling with feeling loved. The enemy beats us up and down, condemns us because of our shortcomings. Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your kids. Maybe it's your job. Maybe you feel worthless. Maybe you feel like there's no hope for you. If you're looking for love and acceptance from all over, except the person in which you were created to receive it from, you're going to continue to feel that way. Always with youth, it's the big thing is acceptance. And I tell them, if you live for their acceptance, you'll die to their rejection. Right? But if you already know you're accepted, hey, the word of God, 
that Ephesians 1 tells us that you've been predestined, you've been chosen, you've been adopted, you've been accepted, you've been forgiven, you've been redeemed, you've been sealed and enlightened and given an inheritance. We can go on and on and on, right? That I don't need to worry about being accepted. I don't need to worry about my worth. All I need to do is look at the cross. And my worth spills out all over. And so this is the encouragement. He wants them to know the love of God. God's love transcended heaven for you. God demonstrated his love on the cross for you. God is always thinking about you. The psalmist said, great are his thoughts towards us. He calls you his own beloved, his son and daughter. He's preparing a place for you. Saints, embrace the magnificent, matchless, endless love of God today. That's why I couldn't go any further. That's why I couldn't. I tried. John goes in to say in the second part of that verse, after he says, behold, and look, verse one, he says that we should be called children of God. God's love results in us being his children. We're born again. We're born into the family of God. There is nothing else like it. Saints, we have to understand when you're baptized into the body of Christ, you're baptized into a family. You're baptized into a community. You're baptized into the body of Christ. Children of God. We come across this one too. Well, everyone's a children of God, right? No? Yes? No? Maybe so? Right? No? No? Wait, no? Yes? No? So we get all the time, well, everyone's a child of God. We're all children of God. No. Negative. Right? Now, we're all created in the image of God. God's love is poured out through the cross. But very clearly in Scripture, John 1.12 says to those who receive him, to them he gave them power to become children of God, to those who believe on his name, those who receive him. So he says, guess what? This love of God, you guys are called children of God. Who calls you children of God? Glad you asked. The Father does. 2 Corinthians 6.18, I will be a father to you and you shall be my sons and daughters, says the Lord Almighty. The Son, Hebrews 2.11, he is not ashamed to call them brethren. The Holy Ghost, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit, Romans 8.16, that we are children of God. The Trinity at work, the triune God, loved infinitely by each and every member of the Trinity we're part of the family of God. John says, you have this, but the Gnostics don't. You have the true Jesus, but the Gnostics don't. Don't live a life like they're living. You're going to forsake the blessing of being in fellowship and communion with the Lord. It's been said that in Jesus, we have restored what we lost in Adam, but I would say not true. In Jesus, we have way more than we can ever, ever have in Adam. Saints, Adam was never adopted into God's family as we are. Adam never knew the fullness of God's love in Christ. See, the Bible says, of his fullness we have received and grace for grace. That the law was given to Moses, but grace and truth comes through Jesus. This is the consistent theme through this gospel, that it's all about Jesus, that he is the king, that he is the Lord, that he is our savior. He's the almighty, the first and the last, the beginning and the end. He's the mighty God who's triumphed over sin and death. This is what he's given us. Verse 1b, when he says the world does not know us because it did not know him, because of our unique parentage from God, we're strangers. When we actually act out our faith, they look at us like we're crazy, right? What's wrong with you? You love people who hate you? That's, what? Who does that? Wait, somebody, wait, wait, the, 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 the hero dies for the villain? Is that like a, is that like a Aesop fable? Who does that, right? See, it seems strange to the world when we walk in faith and we walk in light because they didn't know Jesus, therefore they don't know everyone who's of Jesus. That's why you're supposed to reveal him to people and walk in in faith. For context, John 15, 18, for your note takers. If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. On your outline, God's love will overwhelm you as you reflect on how much he loves you. And I truly pray that it does. This is why we don't aim to please people. Not popular, huh? I oh, know. 
I know, not popular. That's why we don't aim to please people. Because guess what? You can't please everybody, right? And at the end of the day, when you stand before God, he's not going to judge you by people. And, he, and people are not the ones who died for you. When you stand before God, I always tell people, judgment is not according to your neighbor, but not according to your neighbor, but according to the Savior, right? It's so easy to look at my neighbor and say, yeah, well, you know what? I went to church a few more times than him did this week. I'm good. So if that's the standard, I think I'm good. It's really easy to do that. But saints, because we're children of God, we no longer live for ourselves, but for him who died for us and rose again. And so he says, the world did not know him, will not know you. So in the point number two, you will have confidence that you are a child of God, meaning you'll have boldness. Your life will bear holy, fruit of holy living, and God's love will. And if it hasn't yet, I just encourage you to go home and just read and meditate on this. And think about how much God has blessed you, and count all the blessings, and watch God's love overwhelm you. Verse 2, and we'll finish up shortly. Here's what he said, verse 2. In your Bible, look down, see it, okay? Have it in your vision. Beloved, now... Now we are children of God and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. See, John's saying in this very moment, not in process, not down the line, but right now, if you've been born again, you're automatically part of the family. Right now. It's not a work in progress it's not buffering, it's not to be continued, but right now we are children of God if you've been born again. I always get this question like, like how do I know if I'm saved? How do I know? How do I know? Holy Spirit, Romans eight sixteen, The Spirit himself bears witness, as I said before, with our spirit that what? We are children of God. Be reminded, Holy Spirit. John goes on to say that, hey, we are not completely like Jesus yet, but one day we will be. And that one day is when we meet with him in glory. See, saints, this is how it goes. As you're born into the family of God, that's salvation. One time act, justified, just as if I never sinned. But then there's this continual, what we call sanctification. It's a process in which you're made more like Christ until the day you're with him and you'll be like him. Now, God, in his infinite knowledge and wisdom, we live in a fallen world, will use the events and circumstances as this, this world as the chiseling tool to shape you and mold you more into the image of Christ. This is why, saints, the Bible says, count it all joy. This is why, saints, where it says we glory in tribulation because we know that tribulation works perseverance and perseverance godly character and godly character hope and hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts through the Holy Spirit that's been given to us, right? This is what it is. Paul would later say in 1 Corinthians that we see dimly through a mirror, but then we'll be fully known when we're like him. See, we are the clay and he is the potter on your outline. Is that he's constantly molding us and shaping us. And my question to you is, are you going to allow him? Are you going to fight it? No, I don't want no trial. No, 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 no. I'm good. Cruise ship, okay? Take my drama me. No motion sickness, right? But saints, that's not how you grow. That's not how you become more like Jesus. That's not what it is. Paul would say that eye has not seen, as he quotes Isaiah, the eye has not seen, ear has not heard, nor thought enter the hearts of man the things that God has planned for those who love him. When? Heaven heaven. I personally cannot wait for that glorious day when we see Jesus face to face. The Bible says that we'll be in the fullness of joy in his presence. And I encourage you all to meditate on heaven daily, to set our affections on the things that are above. See, what makes heaven heaven is the unhindered, unrestricted presence of the Lord. To see him as he is will be the greatest experience of our eternal existence. We are the clay and he is the potter, saints. It's been said that if Jesus is not in heaven, then heaven is hell to me. 
If he's not there, if I can't see him face to face, the nail prints, the piercing in the side, then there's no point in being there. But saints, he is there and he's preparing a place for us. We love our family members. We love those we care about who have gone to heaven. But saints, our chief joy is gonna be the great shepherd and bishop of our souls. Amen? All right, verse three. And in here, and everyone who has this hope in himself purifies himself just as he is pure. Now, this hope, this is not like one of those, well, dang, I hope uh, doesn't, he doesn't preach past the time, right? Not one of those, right? <laughs> it's not that type of hope, okay? That, that's, I, may, I may or may not, I don't know, right? I'm not, I haven't figured it out yet. But this is one of those things where it's a, it's a no-so. It is a confidence when he says this Hope, everyone who has this hope. What hope? That when we see him, we will be like him. That when he is revealed, we will see him for who he truly is. That we will no longer see dimly through a mirror. That's the hope, the no-so that he's referring to. This is expected. This is the reality that we will not only be like Jesus, but we will be with Jesus in all of his glory, in all of his majesty, in all of his splendor. Saints, our hope is in him. We must never set our hope on other things, not on a relationship, not on success, not on a mutual fund, not on your health, not on your 401k, not on your possessions, nada. But Jesus himself, he is the one that our hope is in. When he says purifies himself, when we know our end is to be more like Jesus, it should make us want to be more like Jesus right now, not later. If that's the end goal, right? If that's the end goal to be more like Jesus, I don't want to wait to the end, right? If that's, I want to, I want to start now, like today. And if you haven't, here's the exhortation. Start today, right? Right now. If I'm going to be like Jesus one day, I want to start today to be more like him. See, saints, having the anticipation of being with Jesus, of the soon coming of Jesus, can have a marvelous purifying effect in our lives. It makes us want to be ready to be serving him right now, pleasing him right now. 2 Peter 3.14 says this for you note takers. Therefore, beloved, looking forward to these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace without spot and blameless. Saints, our hope has never been in this life, but the life to come. Some things for you to think about. How does reflecting on being with Jesus impact your life today and right now? If I'm going to be with Jesus, I want to live out the fullness and faithfulness that he's called me to do. Do you long to be busy doing his work? How about being in his presence and doing having an earthly taste of heaven while we're here? Do you yearn to tell everyone about Jesus? Do people call you a Jesus freak? Well, no, not yet. I'm working on it, right? Um, it's okay. I know everywhere I go, people get tired. There, you're going to talk about Jesus again. All right, just get out the way now. Should we just get through it now? Right? Cool. Glad you're ready. Let's go, right? But I'll end with this. It's a quote that Charles Spurgeon said. I love it. He says, they will never keep me from speaking about Jesus. Not now, not ever. And after I die... They're going to speak about me speaking about Jesus. Amen? Right? And so, saints, the reality is Jesus is coming back. How it should motivate us to live for him today. We're being conformed to his image. We're going to be like Jesus one day. What are we doing for the kingdom of God? That's a question for every single one of us. I want to be bold that is coming. I don't want to shrink back. And I pray the same for each and every one of you. So the blessings of abiding in Jesus, recap. You will have confidence at his coming. You will have confidence that you're a child of God. His love will overwhelm you. And you will be conformed into his image. And hopefully you would embrace that. Let's pray as the worship team comes up. Father in heaven, we humbly come before you, Lord. And we just thank you for this time. We thank you for your word. It truly is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We thank you, O Lord, for the love that you have lavished upon us. John said it's out of this world, your love that you have set upon us, Lord, that we, 
us, sinners. We've fallen short. We're unworthy. We can never make it on our own, but us, O oh Lord, that while we were still sinners, you died for us. What a great and marvelous, mighty, awesome God you are. Lord, I pray that as we meditate on that reality, that our hearts are just warmed up and it reflects in an attitude of gratitude and serving you in spirit and truth. And Lord, I pray for anyone here today that they, they don't know you, Lord. If they're not born again, if they're not born from above, that today would be the day of salvation. Lord, I thank you that you, you made salvation easy. One step, just place your trust in you, Lord. Hear your words. Confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Thank you, Lord, for doing all the work for us. And I just ask, Lord, if anyone here does not know you, that they would place their trust in you today. We love you, Lord. We thank you. And Lord, we can't wait till we're in heaven in all your fullness, all of your splendor, where we no longer look dimly through a mirror, but we'll be fully known. We can't wait, Lord. We love you. We thank you. Until then, we want to be busy. We want to be faithful. And we want to honor your name. In Jesus' holy name we pray. In the name the saint said, amen. Let's worship.